Hello and welcome to the Learning and Development Podcast, a podcast that explores L&D that works with those who are making it work. In this episode, I'm welcoming back Gabe Gloger to discuss skills-based learning. So without further ado, let's get into it. Gabe, welcome back to the Learning and Development Podcast. Thank you, David. It's delightful to be back. Um, so, Gabe, you can't help but notice that there's a lot of talk about skills-based organizations and skills-based approaches to the workforce and managing the workforce. So perhaps we should start with some definitions. What on earth are people talking about when they're talking about skills-based this and skills-based that? Boy, that's a good question. Um, and part of me feels like you might get a, a different answer with every person that you ask. <laughs> Uh, I've been I've been wrestling with skills for my entire career, and I think there's there's definitely been a burst in activity and blog posts and and rhetoric in the past year or two around skills based organizations. I think there's a few things to be unpacked here. I think skills based organizations or SBOs is sort of a buzzword really means not to oversimplify but it really means you organize a lot of your work and your talent structures around skills mm. but it also implies that we're organizing them around something else right mm. now <laughs> so what is that and that is really as opposed to roles and mm. that's where i've seen a lot of the rhetoric around skills-based organizations is that we're moving away from roles and we're moving towards skills so the the anti-definition of an SBO is a, a role-based organization. But I think it's important for everyone to, to step back for a moment and think, you know, how much, what do we organize around roles? What is the sort of organizing principle that roles have provided? Mm -hmm. um, we organize job titles, we organize compensation, reporting lines, team structures, resumes, uh, and then, of course, training efforts, learning and development efforts are often organized around roles. So the thinking goes that these things will be more driven by skills than roles. And that and here's the you know, here's the nub that I think we're going to get into a little bit is the notion that roles will sort of dissolve as a meaningful structure within organizations and skills ontologies will replace them as an organizing principle. I think ultimately the promise of a skills-based organization that I see talked about, uh, you know, often with great hope and fervor, uh, is that is that talent flow will increase, and that the skills-based organization using skills as your organizing principle will lead to a much more agile organization in terms of their talent, in terms of their organizational structure, and how they adapt to a changing marketplace. Mm. Yeah. So first of all, I think that's a, a, a very thorough uh, unpacking of the of the topic there, Gabe. I think that uh, that that what I'm reading into that as well is that this is a, a very much a challenge to the status quo. Pretty much how work has been organised uh, and um, accounted for for as long as people have been working. So it's a, so it's a it's a fundamental challenge to our beliefs, and you, you could almost say that the that because of that, it's there's going to be different levels of adoption um, that uh, that uh, that we can see, but um, you've kind of hinted to this already. But let's uh, let's. I'd love to 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 go with this uh, head on, Gabe. Why is this happening now? I think there's multiple reasons. 
I think there's definitely, like I mentioned, a lot of pressure for company agility. Mm. Um, and that, I mean, that's a deep rabbit hole in and of itself, but markets are changing so fast nowadays um, because of technology and in my opinion, because of the kind of the, the financial system and the way the capital markets are structured, they sort of drive a lot of short-term thinking, a lot of boom and bust mm. cycles within organizations. So you see these massive expansions in terms of talent acquisition, and then you see these big rounds of layoffs. And then you also see uh, just massive market condition changes. COVID is a great example that sort of pushed people into, let's say, going virtual, going digital. Um, uh, AI is another market change that's been pretty dominant over the past year that I think has pulled organizations in new directions and forced them to reckon with new kinds of technology. So. So new market needs are always going to drive new roles and new skills. But I've also seen a lot of organizations that are saying, gosh, I wish I wish I didn't have to. I wish I could repurpose my talent more effectively mm. instead of, frankly, having to lay a bunch of people off. And then, you know, the, the sort of sad fact you don't hear talked about a lot is like in three or six months, hire half of them back. Mm. Um, you know, is there a way for us to better identify the skills that people have? map it to the kinds of new roles and and market demands and and shift people around so mm -hmm. i think that's been one major uh driver i think there's also a bigger demand for career development coming from the labor force if you will i think um company loyalty as a concept has pretty much eroded uh by and large and i think talent more more than anything, once some of the basic needs are met in terms of, you know, compensation and healthcare and whatnot, talent seeks career progress. You know, mm -hmm. I like to say people go places where they can go places. Mm -hmm. um, and so they're they're looking for a place that can invest in them where they feel they can build skills. Um, so I think the language of skills is more appealing in that regard. And then I think it's absolutely technology driven just in a conceptual way. I think skills are a sort of extension of hashtags <laughs> in a way i can get i can get more into that but but they are a they're an abstract kind of metadata mm. that we use to talk about work you know and and, yeah. and we see people put them on their linkedin profile we see them starting to show up in seo i mean people have certainly hacked uh you know their resumes uh <laughs> with, with, with white white text skills you know so they get <laughs> So I think it's an extension of how how technology's made us think, and I think finally, absolutely, machine learning and generative mm -hmm. AI um, have really made some of this finally. At least there's a promise that it's going to be practical. I think mm -hmm. skills are this rabbit hole of text and semantics, and AI has reached a sort of critical point now where where it is an intellectual labor saver, mm -hmm. you know, in terms of finding patterns, making connections and, and generating the volumes of text that are required to really effectively document, communicate, share and process the, the language of skills. Mm. Yeah, a, a lot of what you said uh, resonates. Uh, I've been in conversations uh, back in my uh, my days when I was uh, in in-house L&D where you'd hear we've got the wrong people. And of course, what that suggests is that the uh, the organization itself is simply the house to, that, that holds these people. Uh, and then if they're the wrong ones, then there can be 
uh, a rejig, maybe, maybe move some out, get some new ones in. What I like about what you just described there is that if we see this as skills, then it's not necessarily the wrong people. And that there is also this shared level of accountability that can come within that. If you've got willing people and a willing organization, then there's every chance you can grow the skills in next to no time. Uh, but if you believe that you've got the wrong people, then that sounds like a very uh, expensive and potentially disruptive intervention that's uh, that's got to come to to address that so so i like the way that there's a res, uh, reciprocity to the um to solving the problem uh, between employees and the organization but i've got to ask as well so so allow me to be cynical for a moment gabe um i've been in learning and development long enough to remember competencies and behaviors is skills not just another approach to top to to trying to manage and dictate top-down initiatives uh, instead of actually solve problems i think we're clearly inside the hype cycle on this <laughs> right so i i mean i have to go way back and share a quick story mm -hmm. um uh about myself and kind of why i got into this in the beginning my my background my education is as a musician i was a jazz mm -hmm. drummer and composer and that's what i did in college, I, you know, I got all the certificates and everything. And at a certain point, very early in my career, I realized, you know, this isn't kind of a life that I, I, I want to lead. And I got into business and I was just like, really, really worried that I had zero financially, economically viable skills mm. uh, to offer. I got into ed tech and, um, and ended up early on doing, doing sales and then eventually, um, uh, uh, RFP responses, proposal writing. And what I discovered was writing a, a jazz composition is not unlike writing a proposal. Mm -hmm. You have to take these small disparate ideas, you have to connect them together, try to tell a coherent story mm -hmm. and build on top and layer that, you know, take these small things and turn them into something big that has structure and clarity. And the process of getting there involved me talking with a bunch of departmental leaders who were way above my pay grade at the time uh, and getting them to agree on what our solution might be, which mm. is not unlike leading a jazz band full yeah. of various delicate egos that have to be made. And I, you know, so for me, I realized I'm getting to your point about we've got the wrong people, you know, and, and I wasn't the wrong person in that situation. Mm. I just had skills that weren't obvious on my jazz musician resume you know mm -hmm. if like if you looked at just the job title so to speak of like who i was and what my education was you'd think this guy's not going to cut it here but there were tons of transferable skills underneath that mm -hmm. uh, that enabled me to actually be successful and kind of and, and it's it's since then it's that realization that has sort of sparked me to always be whittling away on this problem my partners and i uh, are fond of saying like there's there's some fantastic outside sales reps that are tending bar right now, you know, and there are some incredible project managers who are stay at home moms right now mm. because solving those kinds of problems involves the same skill set. So I I am excited at the idea of, you know, what what I would call a um, a sort of new linguistic layer of recognizing talking about underlying skills that can transfer into different roles. I do think that the concept of jobs um, as uh, has kind of pigeonholed people 
Mm -hmm. um, in a lot of the, you know a lot of the ways that you describe. So I'm excited at the idea that maybe you know we can start uh, uh, disaggregating that a bit, and you know what I like to say, separating roles from souls. Mm -hmm. um, I do think though that there is kind of nothing new under the sun to a certain degree. And we're going to run into a lot of the same challenges that we always have uh, with this. In particular, the definition of like what the heck is a skill even in the mm -hmm. first place. Um, you can get into a lot of contextual and lexical sort of rabbit holes. You can get analysis paralysis. So I think a lot of the problems that we experience with capabilities and in the the, the the trends of the past mm -hmm. um, are still going to rear their head. It's unclear whether or not things like generative AI or machine learning are going to help us finally solve those. Yeah. There are some green shoots, if you will, that I've seen, but I think the jury's still out. Yeah. So so um, I love what, you know building on what you've just said there, and I think that uh, that where we where we do recognize some hope is that generative AI can help us to build a. Um, uh, a comprehensive but usable map of skills for any particular, say, job family or organization department or, uh, or whatever, uh, but also help to bring it off the page. I think a lot of the criticism of competencies, behaviors and capabilities in the past is that they see they, the intention was that they were uh, published as a catch-all determinant of how people should behave regardless of what job function or geography uh, or work environment they worked in, it had to be these these pillars that almost uh, confined people um, uh, in order to be recognized as doing the job and doing the job well. And people just didn't relate to it. You know, they, they were seen as perhaps the cornerstone of, uh, of performance management and development conversations, but rarely did people actually see what they did. I, I know that managers would, uh, would tell me that the conversations that they were having were, right, this box number one, in what ways do you exhibit this? And they'd be thinking creatively between the two of them. Is it when I'm doing this? Yeah, perhaps you're right, but 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 with skills based, if you're breaking it down to to what it is that people should be um, uh, exhibiting or utilizing in order to get in order to get uh, defined outcomes, which is the results of their work, then then again with generative AI, it can be uh, definitions can help to be defined aligned to actual job roles ra rather than entire job families across entire organizations uh, and also kept up to date so that so that it isn't just published you take you know we did some work uh and uh in, in disney around job families and it took years to get to, to fruition and i'm sure that there were some roles by the time that it was done that that were redundant and then what do you do i mean it's, it was an administrative nightmare to get it to the right place so uh so in the years since i'm sure that uh that uh that they've had their challenges um but I'd love to um, to uh, to bring this to learning and development about uh, about uh, actual workforce development because I do have a concern, uh, Gabe, that um, that the striving for a skills based organization is almost going to be the excuse not to do anything like striving for the learning organization. Oh yeah, Gabe, I, I will modernize one day if when I finally get the learning culture, it's like, I'll oh, forget it. Like, uh, like it's it's absolutely the wrong way around. And I have a belief that you don't have to have a skills-based organization to, uh, to be um, uh, implementing and making a skills-based approach to learning actually work. It's almost as if 
the um the the approach has, has been has landed with us finally with the tools so that we can make these actual changes but that we can actually make an impact to the the skill shortages that our organizations our industries and even entire economies are facing because after all it's you know, skills has been on our lap for a long 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 time uh, our ability to to buy learning and skills platforms um and still not make any inroads in closing skills gaps over the years uh, has been um uh, has been quite a phenomenal achievement on our part but but now i think that we do have the the tools that we can actually make a planned and demonstrable difference so i wonder if we could just unpack for a moment how uh, what what does skills based learning actually look like, uh, and and how how is it actually working? Man, uh, you save all the easy questions for me, don't you? David? <laughs> I I think I think you hit on a, a few really important topics that I just want to kind of put a pin in and see if I mm. you know if we can reference them through this converse, through this conversation here. One is you mentioned conversations with managers. Mm. Um, uh, and another is the um oh gosh what was the other one i mentioned conversations with managers my brain is moving too fast the other one's eluding me right now it'll come to me yeah. um so so skills based learning let me start with the conversations because mm -hmm. i've taken a different approach i think i think the biggest risk that l d uh practitioners have when they start to um uh, you know, ogle at the jewel of SBOs is letting the perfect be the enemy of the good. Mm. And where I've seen plenty of failures in the past, and I've certainly kind of walked this path myself uh, on occasion, is is trying to boil the ocean or you know or starting at a sort of high level top down approach. Mm. The 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 best promise of skills that I have seen that has been practical and has worked for me in my experience is is using skills as a language for meaningful conversations about growth mm. and those can happen in a bunch of different ways i think you know you you highlighted the performance uh um sort of performance review performance development aspect of it as as one example i would call this um sort of the sin of aggregation or or the the water cycle theory of uh of skills which is that we go, you know, as practitioners um, uh, who've been given some sort of highfalutin vision to try and turn around, we go and, and we analyze all the skills in all the places, right? As, as, as water covers the landscape and it sort of evaporates and we try to rise to the top and say, what are the most important ones, right? Mm. And they kind of become the rain clouds. And then we take those and we go and dump them on everybody yeah. across the entire organization, right? These are the skills that seem to be most important to the organization. Mm. It does not follow that. Therefore, everyone in the organization has to have those skills or must be trained on those skills and must they must be pushed out. Um, so I think that's a big risk. I think it gets it gets back down to um, the roles that you have. I I have seen. Um, I have to define, I have to back up and, and kind of and lay out my framework for talking about and thinking about skills mm. that it was arrived at through a lot of blood, sweat and tears, but has become the most sort of practical and pragmatic approach that informs skills-based learning for me. And it comes to thinking about the, um, the divided nature of the brain mm -hmm. and getting to kind of the first principles roots of human cognition. 
And so just very briefly, and I think people will, will understand this at a, at a high level. It's been a meme for a while. You know, you have a right brain and you have a left brain. Mm-hmm. People often talk about it as one's the creative side and one's the logical side. And there's, there's, some, there's some merit to that. But the, the right brain is really, there's been some fantastic work on this over the past few years. Um, the right brain is really about sort of full embodied experience, wide band attention, right? Um, uh, it, it's, it's everything that's coming in and you're not processing it. It's the territory, if you will, the terrain. Mm-hmm. The left brain is really about focused attention. Think of a, a fox chasing down prey, right? It's, it's about... Um, uh, having a very particular thing. It's also where things get abstracted. So you could say that it's the map. Mm. And so, um, and this, these are two processes that are constantly happening in our mind. It's, it's how we operate within the world as human beings. And I think I, what I've done over the years is sort of map this to, to the language of workplace learning, which is that we have activities and we have skills. Mm-hmm. Activities are the things that you do every day. They're the things that show up on your calendar. They show up on your to-do list. They're things that you can check off when they're done and you stack enough of them together. And we call that a job, right? You're going to do these things. Skills, and this is where we run into that semantic rabbit hole. Skills are abstracted facets of an activity, mm-hmm. right? If you're holding a one-on-one meeting, that's the activity. It takes 30 minutes, 60 minutes, whatever. There's like five or six key skills that are happening in that that you wouldn't put on a to-do list. You wouldn't put active listening on your calendar, mm-hmm. right? Um, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't put empathy on your to-do list. There are abstractions of how we deal with that particular context. And so the thing you always hear about where skills fall short is we talk about skills without context. Mm-hmm. And so the big lesson for me when, when approaching learning from a, the point of skills is to always couple these things together to talk about the activity and the skill. And I think the shift for me, and I can give a few examples of this later, but I think the shift has been leading with skills as the sort of defining language or the marketing that you're talking about, but then coupling it with examples of concrete activities where that skill is applied. And Mm. so we've used this in meetups and conversations. We've used this when designing, um, you know, designing learning uh, videos and kind of resources, uh, if you will. And of course, we've, we've used it when, when building, um, you know, sort of light skills maps, if you will, for a particular role that can aid in conversations, can aid in development. But you always have to have that right brain, left brain um, coupling, because that's, it's much like your eyes, right? When you mm-hmm. have those two perspectives, you can actually gauge, you can see things with more depth. And that's where I feel like a lot of the stuff is missing as we launch into this highly abstract world of skills and we easily get overwhelmed and, and, and lost. I love that, Gabe. And uh, it reminds me of something that, uh, that Guy Wallace brought to my attention. I think it was, it was one of his mentors that, uh, that shared it with him, uh, who said that, uh, that um, soft skills are just hard skills out of context. Um, so, uh, and the way, the way that I interpret that is that, learning and development for a long time and even organizations in through conversation will talk about these uh, isolated skill sets that that are uh, largely generic and abstract whether those be communication skills or presentation skills but we talk about them like there is there's there's one or a uh, way of doing it or there is there is um uh there, there is there is there is a re- an arena or, or um uh 
one set of ways that if you keep within the 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 boundaries then you'll then then you will be fine all you need to learn is the principles of communication or presentation so attend this course do this e-learning you will understand what the parameters are off you go i'm sure you'll be a success where it's not actually true and it falls down at the first hurdle which is how how presentations expected to be done at your organization within your team to that set of stakeholders because if i said to you it was at this organization uh, to the uh, consumer products team um at executive level all of a sudden you'd go oh, wait a minute we didn't cover that and you know of course you didn't cover it because you're working off of these isolated skill sets that you believe that if you work within these parameters and do enough of the right stuff that it, it will be right but without the context it absolutely cannot be right so what i love about what you've just said there is if you've got if you understand what it is that people are expected to do and you understand inside your organization what the expected and rewarded behaviors are what successful people already do in order to achieve, get to achieve the, the desired outcomes, then you can go a long way to mapping that so that everybody else can take a look and say, oh, I get it. And talking about uh, uh, maps and terrain, I use it in a, in, a, in a slightly different context, Gabe, that, that what people really want is a map of the actual the things that are going on in your actual organization, not this lovely uh, what looks like a desert island with a palm tree and uh, and a dotted line that points you to the treasure that could be every organization if only everything was perfect it is the nitty-gritty warts and all map of your organization so what is it that that people who aren't familiar should know or could learn from their more experienced colleagues who have learned to navigate it in order to be successful and then we we stop talking about soft skills and hard skills and we talk about the actual skills to be successful within any given and defined organization am i am i on the right lines oh so i had i had an experience with a client a few weeks ago mm. and she uh she's new to the organization she's a sales rep and i gave her a sort of skills matrix for that particular role that we had designed and one of the first exercises was for her to kind of gauge her comfort, her sense of mastery of the various skills. And there was a couple dozen there. And she said, you know, I, I struggled with this because I look at some of these skills, um, things like how to qualify a client, you know, how to lead a presentation. And she said, I, I definitely know how to do these in an abstract sense. I've done them before. I, you know, so I would put myself at a level, whatever, six, mm -hmm. you know, but I've never done them here. Yeah. And I've never done them with these products and I've never done them with these clients. So I actually feel like my fluency is, is a little bit lower and mm. it's going to take a while. You know, um, my, my experience is that we tend to instruct totally backwards to mm. the way that human minds are designed to work and that people don't learn from abstraction. They don't learn from a bunch of words. They learn by having experiences and engaging with tangible, concrete situations. And the human mind is very good at abstracting from there. Mm. And so in an almost uh, um, seemingly backwards kind of way, my experience of, of you know, leveraging skills to increase learning is to actually stop talking about skills at the outset, mm. talk about the real work, talk about you know, case studies, um, 
uh, particular tasks and how to solve them. And then along the way, or kind of after introducing some of that concrete activity, um, you have the conversation and you help people abstract away the various skill-based facets of that activity. So I, I always try to lead with experience, lead with tangible, concrete stuff. Mm. Um, and then, uh, oh, there was one other point I wanted to make. Oh, the A word, right? Mm. Like what, what, what you were getting at was um, how we try to teach these abstract skills and then people go back and say it didn't work. And that's the thing we keep talking about is application. Yeah. Like, where's the application? Um, and so, so anyway, I, I'm kind of repeating myself at this point, but I think just start with the application yeah. itself, you know, and then the, the abstraction will come after that. And, and what I'm really excited about, Gabe, is that uh, that that were we talking about this um, uh, just five years ago? I think that uh, that that as far as technology was concerned, people would be buying their solutions more in hope than in actual certainty that that they could make any difference for me um where i think that we've gone wrong and again so i'd, I'd love your experience of uh, uh, of this as well but from the outset and seeing what their marketer spiel is as well as uh, having conversations with uh, uh with our, our peers and colleagues in other organizations is that what we we took our vast um libraries of generic content we tagged them with certain skills and then we surfaced them to people based on their job titles their uh, their registered interest what their their similar colleagues took a look at as well and we then said that that's addressing the skills gap to to your point there you know they they you know we're leaving people with quite a lot to do in, in application and if we're seeing that uh, that um uh I mean, to me, it's it's like uh, taking three steps on uh, uh, on um, uh, on a path into the ocean. So you're you're one, two, three, jump, and then you're in the ocean. And then L and D going, they could definitely swim because they're in the water, right? It's you know, it's you know, it's it's there. It's almost like job done. We've given you an ocean of content, and we've filtered it based on these algorithms. Therefore, we must be addressing the skills gap. But what we're talking about here, and this is where I think the potential of AI allows us to have the conversation about what actually works. We've been talking here about what actually works, and that is um, hard and soft skills in the context of our organizations and what people are expected to do both today and tomorrow to be deemed actually successful within any given role and to be deemed uh, that they have the potential for growth with whatever we need them to do next. That is, that's, those are hard measures. What whether we know that somebody is ready or not is that when they're in an interview, first of all, they get an interview, right? They are, they then move into a role and then they feel confident enough that they are guided and supported to do enough of the right stuff that they then assimilate, right? Those, those are the hard measures. The soft measures are they went into the, the platform, they looked at this content and they quite liked it, right? right. Like it's nonsense. Yeah. But what I'm really Some excited about, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But Gabe, I'm really excited about the potential of generative AI here. First of all, 
I've always been more excited about generative AI giving us more insight into the problems than I have about giving us the solution. The world needs no more content. It really needs no more content, but our profession requires more knowing and understanding. So creating skills ontologies by pulling internal information about particular rob, uh, roles and tasks, the expectations uh, of, uh, of both uh, job content and culture, as well as broadly outside of the organization, uh, what is expected of, again, the said role, we could create a really comprehensive uh, outline of the skills required inside our organization that are also valuable outside. Then if you add that to um, uh, skills assessment from within based on accurately what is required in our organization and then plotting development paths based on not just those abstract generic skills that we were outlining before but what is actually required in our organization and then setting ourselves the target i i, I had um uh, sarah molly from aviva uh, on um the podcast recently talking about um uh, the, the digital skills development that they're doing. And the idea is, is that they are going to get, I, I think they said on the in the recording, 200 people who currently work in one role into digital roles. And you know, you go, I love that. You've stuck your neck out and you said that that's your hard measure. If they don't, if, if they're a long way off, then they know that they've got they've got uh, uh, some way to go. If they exceed that, they know that it's been hugely successful, but they're not just implementing something and saying, well, We've given it to you. Therefore, if you consume it the right way, then you will be ready. Again, hope rather than certainty. But I mean, I'd love to know what you're excited about with with the potential of uh, of advancements in tech and especially AI powering skills based development. Yeah, I um, I have misgivings and great excitement. Mm -hmm. I think, um, and I think it all comes down to the perspective with which you look at AI. And my, mm. my experience has been primarily around generative AI. So mm. I'm gonna try and stick to that. Um, machine learning and big data, like I know it's a part of the generative AI, but, um, <clears throat> but as far as pattern matching across organizations and, and you know, scraping the web and inferring skills from that, um, I don't have a whole lot of experience with, uh, other than to say I've seen plenty of instances of garbage in, garbage out. Um, <laughs> Uh, in technology. Now, yeah. I, I think I think the big risk I would caution anyone exploring this um, to be aware of is is the risk of of outsourcing our thinking, mm -hmm. which is sort of the siren song of tech automation. Um, AI is not intelligent at all. Um, it is it is in fact I, I uh, maybe you can bleep this out, but in a very technical sense, generative AI, ChatGPT, is really a bullshit machine. And I mean that in a very specific way. And when you understand it, it's very, it's actually quite exciting. Um, but uh, but BS in the, there's a wonderful book written on BS um, uh, by a philosophy professor where he, he he very clearly defines what he means, which is something which is said with a complete disregard for the truth. Mm. It could be true, but it doesn't care. It could be false, but it doesn't care. The yeah. only reason that it says, if you think of a BS artist, that's what's happening, right? They're saying what needs to sound right in the moment, regardless mm. of whether it's true or not, in order to get... And anyone who, who's really done some playing with and engineering uh, with ChatGPT understands that's that's what's happening. It's just mm. predicting what the, the next logical syllable is based on everything that's ever been written on the internet, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so 
if we can, as practitioners, still do the sort of first principles thinking of like, what's the job to be done here? What problem am I trying to solve? Mm. Create some structure, provide the right context. Then the BS machine fills in all the stuff yeah. that we would have spent hours and hours and hours writing. It can find a lot of fascinating pattern matches mm. that we could have found that would have taken hours and hours and hours. But you can't go to it and say, write me a skills-based learning strategy. No. And that that's when you're going to get the hallucinations. And that's when, frankly, like if it can do it for you, you probably should be laid off. You know, like yeah. we have to bring. <laughs> We have to bring the general problem-solving abilities that make us human beings to the table. So um, where I've seen this specifically, I mean, I'll tell you a couple of the things that we've been tinkering with lately that have given me a lot of uh, enthusiasm. The first is creating um, skills uh, skills frameworks for a particular role. We've come up with a, a, a sort of simple framework. And, and one of the things that I learned the hard way is uh, don't try to, to analyze all the skills. You need to time box yourself or you need to set limitations, right? And so for us, it was what are the top five deliverables of a particular job, right? The things that are consumed of value on the other end. What are the five skill, the five activities required to deliver that thing in each of those areas? And then what are the top 10 skills cutting across all those activities? Hmm. And that's enough to be practical and manageable. So you end up with sort of 35 things, right? 25 mm. activities, 10 skills that, that enable someone to make sense of their job, to add that layer of resolution that I believe the skills language gives us, to engage in a more meaningful dialogue with themselves, with their managers, with the work they do, to kind of, as I've said in, in past conversations with you, hitch a ride on your day job. Yeah. And, and, Providing that structure to something like ChatGPT can fill in the blanks for us quickly. It used to take me hours to do mm. that. Interviews with subject matter experts. Now it takes minutes, right? Um, another approach has been, um, uh, I guess, I, I guess you'd say it's generating content in a way, but um, sort of micro coaching. We're still playing around mm. with this, but. Um, uh, you know, what are people working on uh, at the at the current moment? What are some of their reflections, some of the inputs that they're providing um, around what they're noticing in their work? And then as those things accumulate, using AI to to kind of personalize that and, and, and pattern match, um, find other people maybe in the organization that are working on similar kinds of things, and then send customized messages into Slack, into email that that are coaching functions mm. right um in the sense that they're providing encouragement hey i noticed the reflections you wrote last week or um how did it go with such and such um um what did you notice when you worked on that thing the other week like getting people's wheels turning in a in an automated way meaning a manager doesn't have to do it manually right um or an asynchronous way uh and and people are not at all deterred by the fact that this is uh, an AI. I mean, we're very sort of upfront about it, right? This kind of coaching interaction is a is a prod, is a nudge, uh, and is helping to keep something on my radar that's otherwise uh, difficult to do that. So I think um, I think generative AI is going to take a lot of the copywriting out of uh, uh, out of people's hands that they that they spent hours and hours doing. Um, it's going to take a little bit of the synthesis. 
we still have to be able to think deeply about problems, mm -hmm. provide the right kind of structure, and the thing that only humans can do, which is realize what is relevant, what mm -hmm. is important, and prioritize that. That's what we have to bring to the table. If we yeah. can do that, I think the AI can, can vastly accelerate our ability to solve problems and deliver value. Yeah, brilliant, Gabe. You've made some, uh, such a, uh, such valuable points there. Um, what I what I particularly love is um, that a, a trap I think we get into in uh, in L and D because we don't do enough analysis. We take a look and think everything's urgent, but we only uh, or everything's a priority, and we only think uh, that it's all a priority because we don't understand the actual problems. But from what you're saying there, uh, what I'm pulling out of there is that if we act, do actual analysis and actual prioritization based on the actual needs of our organization and the people within it, then we'll see that some things are more urgent than others. If we capitalize on that urgency with the people that that we need to uh, either develop or reskill, then we don't have to generate any additional concern for them to engage and to therefore adapt. But if we treat everything as a priority, um, create all content as if it was all equal, treat everybody as if uh, they immediately needed to reskill, I think to to uh, to continue the uh, the theme perhaps of this uh, this podcast beyond skills um then then they their their bullshit um radar will um will go off uh, and they'll realize that they're just being asked to do stuff because L D want them to not because it's valuable for them right now so i you know i i, I couldn't agree more that 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 if we in learning and development uh, pointed the these powerful tools in the direction of the problems that need solving, seek to understand them ourselves and use our ability to build relationships as well as uh, provide relevancy, then that's the way that we actually upskill and reskill in our organization and get out of this silly cycle uh, of implementing big expensive tech and thinking that because you've been told so by the vendor or because it's You've you've convinced yourselves internally. All you need to do is customize it and plug it in, and all your your question, all your problems will be solved. Um, I hope that, uh, that 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 those silly times are coming to an end. Uh, but I tell you what is coming to an end, Gabe. Uh, the uh, this conversation. So so to, ah. to wrap things up, uh, I'd I'd love to ask you um, how you would suggest the listener learns more about skills based development and its relevancy and approach that would work for them. Yeah. Uh... I think the probably the best collection of case studies and research that I've found is actually from the folks at Red Thread Research. Mm -hmm. um, so I would encourage people to go check out their site. They have a podcast as well, uh, and they've done several seasons on skills and talk to, I think, some of the people that are kind of on the leading edge uh, uh, practitioner wise. Um, and I've been very uh, impressed with with the quality of their uh, their research. I think they just started a new um, season uh, mm -hmm. uh, going back on skills now. They're on the Skills Odyssey three, uh, so that's that's good. I found a lot of uh, insight from that. I have a course on Maven about uh, skills based organizations. Uh, we take a, a slightly different approach that I think is more kind of grounds up uh, uh, from the ground up. Um, using a lot of the sort of frameworks that I discussed, uh, but we really also focus on um, the conversations that it, professionals have with themselves and the dynamic between them uh, and a manager and how to optimize what I would consider uh, talent flow, which is kind of the ultimate goal of skills-based organizations uh, there. I think we're still in the Wild West, you know, mm -hmm. so I would encourage people to um, 
So look for organizations out there, uh, uh, communities. I think the L&D Collective is a great one, actually, that I've learned a lot from as well, where you can engage with other people that are trying this stuff in real time, uh, you know, in the arena, uh, covered with the blood and the sweat and all of that, uh, trying to make it happen. So connect with other folks um, and, uh, and then check out Red Thread Research. That would be my recommendation. Brilliant. Thanks, Gabe. And we'll put some uh, some links in the show notes as well. Uh, but Gabe, all, all is left for me to say is thank you very much for, for coming back and being a guest again on the Learning and Development podcast. I'm humbled to have been here. Thanks. It's always great to talk with you, David. It certainly seems that this is the time for skills-based approaches to learning with a focus so much on skill shortages. And now we have AI-powered tools that can help us to achieve real results at speed and scale it's important that we take notice. If this conversation has whet your appetite for good quality LND chat and you'd like to get involved, you can now join the LND Collective, of which I'm an active member. Join me and thousands of LND peers via the link to the LND Collective in the show notes. And if you'd like to get in touch with me, perhaps to suggest topics you'd like to hear discussed, you can tweet me at David in Learning and connect on LinkedIn. Again, find the links in the show notes. And goodbye for now. <laughs>